Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of In Transition, the podcast that explores the practice of content marketing in the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've decided to give me some of your valuable time today to discuss the ever-changing world of communication in the public sector. Now, for those of you who are paying attention, you will notice that we're no longer talking about content marketing in government, but we are talking about content marketing in the public sector. A slight pivot, and the reason being is that we found that some of our constituents in national associations, NGOs, and not-for-profits didn't really see themselves as being from government. I did, but they didn't. So, slight pivot. So from here on in, we'll be talking about content marketing in the public sector. This week, we bring a special guest back. But before we do, it's definition time as we go through it every week. And it is really important to get this definition right so that we understand just exactly what it is that we're talking about. Content marketing is a strategic business process that involves the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content designed to meet the specific needs of an audience in order that you achieve a desired citizen or stakeholder action. If you will recall, back in episode 23, we were joined by government communication expert, Alan Probert. Alan's the founder of GovCom Group, and he's a very experienced government communicator. For nine years, he was the Executive Director of Strategic Communications in the New South Wales government and had responsibility not only for digital policy, but also advertising the New South Wales government and all of the New South Wales Premier's websites. Prior to joining government, Alan worked in the magazine industry in Australia and overseas and was personally responsible for the launch of a number of successful magazines in Australia, including FHM and OK. Alan, Thanks once again for joining us. Morning, David. How are you? Yeah, mate. Fantastic. Listen, um, now where were we? Because we were having such a great conversation a couple of months back. I think we ended up the conversation where we were starting to talk about the collaboration and potential collaboration between the private and public sector and how, in fact, that may be able to be developed in order to deliver value to citizens. So what are your views about how the public sector can work more effectively with the private sector? Well, I think there's, it, it's an interesting point, and I'm going to springboard off what, what you said in your intro again, because it's about meaningful, it's about relevant, it's about content that you know that people want to get, and and um, you know the, the the private sector, just from a sort of industry point of view, everybody I speak to in advertising agency land at the moment is is tackling with this problem too. You know, how do you make content interesting? You know, how do you produce a yeah, in its most fundamental form, an ad that will run at the beginning of the ad, of the thing you really want to watch on YouTube that people don't skip, and 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 it's I think the most interesting thing for government at the moment, and as you know, it's a it's a bit of a theme, a bit of a hobby horse of mine, is that I think it's time to stop thinking about the challenges being different. It's you know for private and public, it's actually about engaging people, diverting them from what they're doing, and helping them with something. Um, because actually, government starts you know a few feet behind 
Coca-Cola and Krispy Kreme donuts because really nobody wants a message from the government. You know, it's as, as a, or, a, or, or, or I apologise, from a public sector organisation. You know, nobody is, is looking at the internet thinking, I wish there was some more government stuff I could read. But, but can I just challenge you on that point? Is it mm. more that they don't want it or they don't want it in the form that they're getting it at the moment? Because I have a, a theory that I'm fast turning into practice that if we can turn this notion of creating useful, relevant and valuable content about government programs that will enrich people's lives, they'll want it as much as they want it from Coca-Cola and Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, unequivocally. And, and, you know, and thousands of people call government, probably millions of people call government phone numbers on a daily basis, you know, to get information. How do I pay my my, how do I do my BAS statement? How do I get a driving licence? Yeah, of it, course. Yeah, it, it, how do I it, get my money? How do I get yeah. my allowances? But our starting point is we don't wake up in the morning wanting to be informed. No. Yeah, uh, we, we, we do go to, um, it, and, and, you know, we're all, I think, forming views because, frankly, we are all, you know, learning as we go here. Um, we go to YouTube to be entertained, um, not, you know, not in the same way that perhaps um, some of us used to pick up an encyclopedia to learn, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when you're in a space to be entertained, but I guess the point I was making was that uh, nobody wants to be interrupted by um, advertising or by content that they didn't ask for. And so it's all about context and it's all about quality and it's all about delivery. And then, then even when you have somebody wanting to access your content, making it you know, I'm going to be flippant, but making it really, really good is incumbent on anybody in marketing nowadays because it's so easy to click and do something else. And if you, you know, even even an article in you know, your favorite newspaper or magazine, if after three lines, four lines, two paragraphs, you're not sucked in, it's so easy just to flick the page. And maybe that's just me, but I, my instinct is that um, people are in, increasingly less likely to dwell on something that doesn't capture their attention because they're either time poor or because, you know, other websites are available. It's um, it's it's the biggest challenge of all. And and the notion of, you know, people being loyal to products like you, David, I've been in marketing a few years and years ago we used to work on a basis of getting loyal customers because, you know, they stayed and they spent. And then I don't think people do that anymore. I think people will, will walk away from a business without a, without a care if, if something new like, Uber comes along that's just better, you know? Well, I, I totally agree with that. But I think probably one thing that could protect you against people walking away is that notion of creating value in your audience. Because if you yeah. can consistently deliver, consistently add value, consistently solve problems, consistently answer questions, you're more likely to earn you know, that trust and respect that's going to ensure that you get a, you know, disproportionate share of their attention. Otherwise, but again, it has to be on point and that content has to be absolutely precise because it's not, as you say, people have got an infinite choice as to where they can devote that scarce attention that they do have. And so the, so the challenge for government organisations uh, in this whole area, the starting challenge is that they don't have engaged customers who are interacting with them on a regular basis. You know, with the exception perhaps of Centrelink and uh, uh, and perhaps something around Medicare. Um, I remember looking at this when I was working on the launch of Service New South Wales. Driving, everybody's got a driving license, but people only come and interact with government every three years ab about their driving license, and so. 
what what you aren't able to do, which perhaps you know the brilliant work that Optus are doing with Ricky Chavez at the moment, you aren't able to build you know a platform that starts a conversation where people will come back tomorrow because there's no reason to come back tomorrow to to your government problem. So that the, the the heightened challenge for government is in being really relevant at the you know, frankly sporadic and, uh, and and incremental time that people come and knock on your door. So it it. it it's no, it's it's not actually different in purpose, but it's harder, and it's much harder because, of course, the challenge for government, all governments, public sector organisations, is that the audience isn't definable by, you know, boring old things like demographics and and attitudinal studies because your audience is everybody. Okay, but so, but yeah, it's it's a lot harder, and I think that you know, the challenge for government is is sort of saying, okay, we're a few steps behind, but nevertheless. It's it's good to start looking at what other other organisations in the world are doing, um, governments, public sector organisations, and private to make their content more interesting and to get people, you know, more engaged with your organisation. But if let's take that's a let's let's sort of drill down onto that particular opportunity around driving licences and the challenge of that mm. notion at the moment where it's transactional, where I come once every so often, I pick up my licence and then I go away. But what about if that platform had useful, relevant, valuable and consistent content around driving, around driving skills, around driving conditions, and that the government could become a provider of really valuable information for everyone who drives a car. So then, yeah, over, then, is... then over time, you can build that relationship and then the transaction sits at the edge of it, but the relationship comes through the content over time. This is a really interesting um debate at the moment because uh one of the most successful bits of uh government publishing five years ago was a thing called directgov.co.uk that did exactly that that said let's put all the stuff about driving into a you know excuse old-fashioned word into a portal um and let's put other stuff on that portal and and from memory they had um you know a used car guide a used car sort of sales car guide, price guide, whatever it's called. Um, and they had even had articles from Jeremy Clarkson because it was a driving portal. And within it, it talked about, you know, those videos on learning to drive and taking lessons. Um, they've come away from that now because I, I guess they're not in the business of curating that sort of content. But it's a really interesting path is that, and it's something which, you know, I think we talked about before and I have the strongest view on, is that people don't interact with government. They interact in a series of, of, of disconnected interactions. You, you're not in the same frame of mind when you go to casualty as you are when you're getting a speeding ticket, but they're both government, you know? So yeah. this notion that somehow you go to a government place and deal with government, for me, that isn't a you know, consumer experience. Same at local government level, same at every level. You know, if you've got a problem with somebody emptying your bins, you don't want to talk about car parking. So the challenge for me is actually finding a way, a consistent way across government of understanding that the user need is based around a specific reason they've come there. And yet the the the, uh, the way that we communicate with them will have similar constituent parts in terms of, you know, the right kind of language, the right kind of follow up, the right kind of accessible accessibility and as you sort of touched on there the opportunity to share other pieces of information that they might be interested in that are that have some sort of some sort of relevance to the question yeah without saying go to a portal where everything about government is there yeah um because that brings into mind you know what i think one of um 
very interested in the work that Paul Shetler's doing in in, in Canberra and Sydney. And you know, my favourite quote of Paul so far is he said, you know, people shouldn't need to carry around a map in their head of how government works. So this is, this is the challenge, isn't it? Is to getting to the fact that people come to us with uh, a problem they need solving, a question they want answering. And uh, our job is to, in public sector communications, is to help them with the answer, understanding why they asked the question. Yeah. And they didn't ask the question because they want to talk to government. No, that's right. Yeah, but it's but again, it's to solve that problem. But then they want that information in the form that they want it at the time on the device uh, of their choosing. And here's a, here's a you know if we change the um, the mood a little, here's an interesting thing from the ten years I spent in government. Putting that information on a URL that says .gov.au automatically confers authority. Yes. You know, uh, during the days when we were all kind of working it out, I worked with a couple of government departments who you know came up with great .com ideas and great .com names, URLs for things they were doing. One of the flaws with that was that it didn't have any. It didn't have government authority conferred on it because it was a .com. There was a point of view five years ago that .coms were bona fide and everything else was a bit flaky. Not true. And, and you know, one of the things I did towards the end of the time I was in Premiers in New South Wales was to insist that everybody used a .gov address. Mm. A, because it conferred authority, but B, whisper it quietly, because Google gave it priority in terms of search rankings. <laughs> so it's a really interesting thing is that is that understanding the framework of how you you communicate the information starts with simple things like using the right URL. With that, you, you raise an interesting point there around customer experience and, you know, per, you know, this notion of personalization where everyone now, you know, the world's getting increasingly narrower and narrower and narrower as people decide and control the information they receive when they receive it at the time of their choosing, et cetera. How mm. does government get on top of that when people are looking for a one-to-one a -one interaction? And, you know, how do you crack that problem? Well, I think this is where, um, you know, I, I probably have the, have the, the strongest view of, uh, that I think, you know, that, that many, many new emergent bits of work happening across government across the world are getting it right, which is that it starts with what the user need is. Why have they come to you? Where people all over the world are getting it wrong is starting with what government wants to say to people. You know, we have to, uh, that lovely phrase, which you know, has been bandied around for a couple of years now about how in, in Gov 2.0, it's about a dialogue with people, not a monologue anymore. Government still sometimes tends toward monologues. You know, we shout at people, we announce things with loud hailers. Whereas once you're starting a dialogue, to have a dialogue, you have to listen to the other person and you have to understand why they're there. And, and where it's being done really, really well in all parts of um, Australian government at the moment is where people have started engaging with the, with the person, not necessarily having a conversation, but engaging, as you said, David, with understanding why they've come in the first place. And, and from there, the iteration of, of how you deal with them and what the story looks like and how long it takes, what information they need, becomes a bit of a flowchart. But it, if it, you start with a policy and you start with um, uploading a PDF saying, read this and let us know what you think, yeah. you're, you're just shouting at people. So how do you transition? How do you change the mindset from just exactly what you said, here's the policy, here's the PDF, tell us what you say, to... I want to ask you, 
what you want before we actually start even crafting the policy and the response. How do you get that message through? Um, I think it starts at the, um, and this is probably, um, you know, this is probably 50% of the work I'm doing at the moment is solving this issue uh, across all, I work across you know, state departments and, and Canberra and a few private suppliers. Um, it starts with um, an understanding of what better will look like. So if we do this differently, what will be the results and how will, will we be better off? So by engaging with people, we might find that we'll get the policy right first time rather than getting it wrong and getting criticised. By engaging with people, we might be able to test a price point. It's actually going back to the fundamentals of customer research that we all learned 25 years ago. And it's about working out, first off, what is it that people want from us and how's the best way to deliver it? Having done that in the modern world, the great opportunity is to then carry on refining it because people change, you know, things get refined, things get better. But the starting point is having an understanding, and this is a bit, you know, this is very much my opinion, but I think it's about having a cultural understanding in the organisation actually wanting to communicate with the public that listening to people is better than shouting at them. Are you finding that in your work that more of that attitude is finding its way into the key decision-making uh, areas of the, the government uh, agencies? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. There's a, there's, a, there's a really interesting... I think we're at the, at the apex of a really interesting time. Um, you know, at, at, at the peak of it is you know, the work that Mike Baird's doing in New South Wales, where Mike's effectively running his own social media channels in New South Wales. Baird's Eye View is a hashtag. And so there's a leadership position there that then says to everybody else in government, it's good to engage. It's good to have this point of view. And I'm hearing lots of positive feedback about that sort of from a, from the old leadership model that that's seeping through. But what's also happening, David, which I personally think is is probably fundamentally interesting in terms of the in terms of this whole notion of transformation, is the agencies that have the greatest day to day interaction with the public, emergency services, transport in terms of driving licences, and uh, and obviously Centrelink and and uh, Medicare in Canberra, those are the guys that are making the change happen fastest because those are the guys that are already in the business of one-to-one -one relationships with the public. There are some departments that you know, have, have a, an arm's length relationship with the public, and quite rightly, but there are, there are some departments and say that the, the, the best work in digital media in, in Australia in government is in emergency services. And so you have this kind of crazy thing for somebody like me that five years ago was writing a social media policy for government, which is I would never five years ago have predicted that the police would be using Facebook you know, as one of their primary communication tools. Mm. That would have seemed like madness to me five years ago. Mm. The police and Facebook, how does that work? <laughs> but it's actually a really good example of an organization that have embraced the power. They have a full-time guy. I, I know Sydney well because I've to know the guy who used to work for me, the full-time guy in Sydney who is updating the police Facebook page right now and who is not sending all of his updates upstairs for somebody to approve. Yeah. It, it's changed. You know, it's not a question of, you know, is it, you know, can we, can I see, you know, sprouts of changing? It's changed. So I, I worked in an organisation, as most of us do, where the original code of conduct says you can't talk to journalists. Now, here we are in 2015 and the media manager for um, both rural fire service and police in New South Wales have complete carte blanche appropriately to say whatever they like on social media. I think it's great. Okay. And in and in both cases, 
senior managers in those organisations. So uh, uh, Rob Rogers, the, the fire commissioner in New South Wales, is an active you know, active poster of information on Twitter about fires in New South Wales. That's how it changes, by people getting on and doing it yeah. and people seeing the benefit. And, and I'm, I'm seeing it happen with, you know, with new, minister, new premiers in Victoria and Queensland. I'm seeing it happen because those guys are saying, why aren't we doing this? Well, it's a really in, good question. You know, why aren't, why aren't we doing it? Well, and, and, <laughs> and indeed, in terms of the Australian context, the new prime minister is perhaps oh. the, the, the most effective content marketer in the political class in Australia and has been for many, many years. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah, really, sorry, remiss of me to, to miss that. Absolutely. And, and equally, you know, the, the, the team, I say the DTO team, um, are, are, are in their own way just kind of knocking down, you know, walls of, uh, of obstructions on a daily basis. They've just posted something that, that's invited people to come to their office next Friday to have a look around. And, um, you know, our good friend Craig Tomler posted it online saying, when was the last time a government invited people to come and have a look, you know? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> nice. I've got a feeling there might be a thousand people turn up, but um, I'm sure Paul and the team will look after them. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, let's just dial it back then to this risk sure. notion. So let's, emergency services and police, as you say, they've seen it deliver business outcomes. The reason yeah. that they're using it is because it works and it helps them to solve the problems that they've got yes. as, as part of their organisation. But, you know, perhaps other, you know, regulatory organisations or, or policy areas, uh, how, you know, and this notion of risk, how do you challenge that notion of risk to, to get people to move along and to start to think, look, we really have to um, start to embrace and engage and change if, in fact, we're going to be relevant? Oh, David, I think that that's, that's probably up there with the um, how do we know if advertising works question at the yeah. moment. Um, um, and I did a, did a, uh, uh, a couple of events with um, uh, John and Alison from Cofluence uh, under GovCamp a couple of months ago, and the greatest... Uh, what's the word? The greatest barrier to innovation or perceived barrier to innovation was fear of what might go wrong. Yeah. Fear of negative criticism by a journalist, fear of information being in the public domain. Um, it would be incredibly naive to not understand how big a deal that is. But at the same time, if you're working on a policy and you haven't spoken to the public about it, or indeed if you've had a, um, a town hall meeting, and um, I may have given you my favourite quote before, you know, but the people who turn up to town hall meetings are only representative of people who turn up to town hall meetings. You know, if you've not taken the opportunity to use the internet to talk to a massive audience of people, you may not have the right policy. So it's a really interesting risk dynamic around, yeah, somebody might say something that, you know, gets you a bit of bad press, but the upside is, but you might understand the things that when you make the announcement, would have would have got you even worse press because you got something wrong. So that's the balance, and I, and I I cannot stress strongly enough how easy it is to be, you know, flippant and simplistic about that. This is a really really big issue for an organisation that's not used to having conversations in public. Yeah. But the opportunity to learn, and that there was actually some brilliant work done in Melbourne by Colmar Brunton a couple of years ago, where they ran effectively an open facilitated online research group. But it had four or five hundred people in it, not six people in a in a wet, dingy room in North Sydney, yeah, you know, doing a focus group. It's it, it's we're all learning together, and I and I you know I do a lot of work as you know with ad agencies, and um, and they're all learning too. You know, this is all new stuff, 
But um, all I would say is if it's about knowing more about the decisions before you make them, that's that's got to be empowering. But the policy teams, you know, have 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 um, you yeah, have major issues with with uh, with with you know that some of the process that's needed here, and I and I support and understand why why nobody wants to jump straight in. Yeah, and and I get that as well, and I and I also accept that you know at at the political level there is you know, a degree of sensitivity about the press and about the media and about, you know, how is this going to make us look? But I think, you know, what content marketing actually allows you to do is to continue what I call the baseline of your story, you know, like the baseline of a, of a song. It can keep pounding away for you day after day after day underneath the noise that may be going on in the media. So you can deliver value day after day after day through engaging with your audience, listening to them, explaining what exactly that is that you're doing outside of that, you know, hysterical context of what may be in the media. And I think we saw that recently in the UK where David Cameron, you know, the, at the political level though, and, and the media level, it, it was a, you know, accepted that he wasn't going to win the election. But mm. the, the, the UK government, you know, the the government communicators had delivered a very effective service to the community. And in fact, you know, I think the community were much more engaged because of the way that the government in that, I'm, when I say government, I mean the departments had communicated so effectively out into um, in, out into the citizenry. And I think that there was a lot more value that wasn't identified at that media political level, but it certainly was um, appreciated at a day-to-day level. I, I think, you know, there's there's absolutely, you know, so much, um, so many issues there and so much depth in that, in that, um, in that whole area. Um, because of course, you know, the less people are buying newspapers, less people are listening to talk radio. And so, you know, I, I, it'd, be, it'd be really interesting to try and get some kind of view about exponentially, you know, what share of voice do those traditional media actually have with, you know, with the majority of people because within the corridors of political power, they still have, you know, they still hold sway, I think. Oh, yeah, um, no question. There's a disproportionate mm. influence. But I think it's changing. You know, I, I do think it's changing. And this is the gift of technology is that you can be the media. You, you, yeah. can, you can create your own story. But the challenge then is to, you know, not turn it into a propaganda machine or a spam machine, but go back to the point that we were talking about is getting into the shoes and the lives and the hearts and the minds of the, of the audience, understanding what that is and creating value over time by, you know, distributing useful, relevant, value, valuable and consistent content. So... Uh, look, I agree, and I think it's it's interesting. You know, we we've talked about this before that, you know, we're having this conversation now, and it's what you know, five six years since uh, Obama's campaign, which you know, which did all of those things. Yes, with you know, lots of consistent information, stories well told, um, and so I think you're right, and it probably is my, you know, we're touching on some of my um, both my strong beliefs and also the most common themes I'm coming across in my work at the moment. Um, Getting out there and telling a story and it being consistent is a full-time job. It has nothing to do with what's in the papers today. It has everything to do with, um, you know, what's your hundred-day plan? What's your, you know, what's success going to look like? Yeah. I don't know about you, David, but um, uh, you know, I've I've started to find myself saying some of the things that I used to work use in private sector consultancy ten years ago. You know, what does success look like? Yeah. You know, what what what? How are we going to celebrate the wins? Because my experience um, 
and I'm, and I'm beginning to realize it's actually a common thing um, worldwide, is that governments aren't, aren't disposed to or used to celebrating success and, and on a non-political level. You know, and, and I think there's you know, a big part of content marketing is saying, here's more good news. Here's a customer well served. Here's a satisfaction rating that's gone out the, the door. Here's another, you know, here's the Opal card. It's actually been a really big success. And, and for whatever reason, and maybe, you know, I'm a, I'm a marketeer and I'm probably a little bit, you know, prone towards a bit of hyperbole, aren't we all? But, um, <laughs> but, but sometimes I kind of think, well, you're doing lots of really good things. Why not chat about that well, rather so this than is the thing. thing that some bloke on the Telegraph just dragged out of the water, you know? <laughs> anyway, that's, that's the view of, a, of an ex-public service. Well, and, and, and from someone who I've never worked in the public service but done, you know, years and years and years of work of working in the public service, I think there is that sense of, you know, let's celebrate a little bit more. You know, let, let's be proud of some of the things we do and let's be proud of our service because ultimately it is public service and that's why most people work in the public service because they want to serve the community. And when they do good things, it, it should be celebrated and we should be talking about it and we should be... And we've got the... The thing is, we've now got the tools. We've got the well, skills. Absolutely. Like, we've got the, everything to do it. So let's let's get out there and make it happen. I, 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 whenever I'm, in, I'm doing interviews or, or, or keynotes and stuff, I always try to make sure I don't bang on about Service New South Wales too much. But, um, but part of the transformation that Service New South Wales has brought is around, you know, putting Mike Pratt led with this idea about putting the customer at the heart of things. And so where it's manifesting is in really lively Twitter accounts that, that when people complain saying they, 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 particularly on Twitter, they'll say, leave it with me, I'll work it out for you. You know, really sort of manifest helpfulness, but also a continuing uh, 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 narrative of how things are better than they were. Yeah. And one of the things that I think, and this is a hardly a pearl of wisdom, one of the things most interesting about Service New South Wales is it's effectively a new business. It, it wasn't a, um, yeah, it wasn't formed from an old business, you know, rebadged. It was a brand new organisation, and and I think you know that sometimes taking the, you know, the clean sheet of paper, what can be done here, albeit, albeit driven by people who were absolute experts at customer service having been in the banking industry the last four or five years um yeah as a result now what we've got is something that obviously service victoria is now going to you know build on and grow but it, it, i i i do i'm almost certainly said this last time i do get a bit frustrated at the amount of commentary in government about how hard and how difficult things are and the lack of um appreciation and sharing about you know, some really good things that are happening. And it's all over the board, you know, Canberra Innovation Centre um, and, you know, Sarah's business and, you know, stuff that's going on in South Australia in terms of the way they're voting on things. There's lots of really great stuff happening. And and, and the, the skill for me for government marketers is probably just to look around a bit more about other things that are happening, perhaps in other countries as well, David, you yeah. know. The, no, be no better community engagement in the last year in government than the New Zealand flag. Yeah, um, uh, referendum done entirely on social media and from my understanding you know massive tick in the government's favor okay alan we're gonna have to leave it there but we will continue the conversation i think we will uh i'm not sure when but uh stay tuned we'll come back to it and uh lots of good stuff there again today uh audience i think we uh i think we're getting there we've got to we've got to keep moving 
moving in this direction, getting deeper into this notion of content marketing as a strategic, measurable, and accountable business process that can give you the results and allows you to be able you know, to walk upstairs and have a discussion about the business process because that's what content marketing is. It's not a thing. It's a measurable and accountable business process. So jump online, jump onto contentgroup.com.au to learn more about that in terms of the public sector. Go to the Content Marketing Institute. There's loads of information out there about content marketing. So just educate yourself. Let's get going. Let's start creating more useful, relevant, valuable, and consistent content. And let's start creating even more values for the citizens and the stakeholders that we serve. Alan Probert, thank you very much for being in transition. Thanks very much, audience, for being uh, here again. And we'll uh, be back with another episode next week. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. For more, visit us at intransitionpodcast.com.au.